Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Do you concur picking sides in some important financial debates? That's what we're going to do on today's show. Walter Storholt alongside David Dickens, President and Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors. Serving you in Kansas City, you can find us online at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. On this episode, we'll try to pick some sides of important financial debates whether it's bonds, life insurance, maybe some credit card debt, Social Security. We're going to kind of hit a bunch of different topics in those realms on today's show. And we're going to see which sides of these kind of particular debates David falls on and what you should probably fall on as well. Uh, There may be some it depends that falls into today's episode, but we'll try and be as definitive as we can. Uh, David, you ready to pick some sides in today's show? You got to be, you know, take a stand on some of these things. Well, the thought that just went through my mind, I think it was Harry Truman, which, of course, from Missouri, uh, I think he said in a moment of frustration, he said, what I really need here is a one-handed economist, because these guys keep telling me, well, on the one hand, and then (laughs) on the other hand. So I'm going to try to do my best today. Anyway, who knows? <laughs> I like I'm that. sure I'll use a little bit of that as we mm-hmm. go. We'll see. Uh, th- how the questions are phrased can be a great influence there, <laughs> David. So we'll see how these work out. Um, all right, so here's the first one. we got five of these to go through today. Here's the first one. Uh, you should always, okay, so see, I'm helping you out with the phrasing of the question go. here because exactly. I'm giving you a definitive thing. Uh, you should always pay off your house as soon as you can. So that is an easy one in that always – Yes, is, you're going to agree. Yes. I'm going to disagree with Aww. this. <laughs> and trying to add some drama that. to the show here, here's, David. <laughs> <laughs> here's why I say that. I'd, I'd say, should you pay it off before retirement? Yeah, you probably should. Uh, because I have, I have a number of clients that still have a mortgage, and they're like, oh, I hate it when I write that check every month. And you tell them, well, very little of it's going to more uh, interest, and a lot of it's going into principal pay down, and you're still going to have your taxes and your insurance. And they go, yeah, I know, but I just hate writing that check. Okay. So I think you should pay it off before you retire, but that's not as soon as you can. So, you know, you're listening to this thing, and you're this, this podcast, and you're in your 30s or 40s, and you're like, well, what you know for sure is that in most markets, your home value is going to grow, I don't know, 1% to 3% a year. But the stocks you own, let's say, for instance, in your 401k or outside of, are going to grow at maybe 7 to 9% a year. Either of those things, your home or your, or your 401k, those are assets. And you get a chance to, to, to say where you're going to put your money. And all you're doing by paying down your mortgage early is putting more of your money into that particular asset that's probably going to grow at 1% to 3% a year versus paying your mortgage down normally, adding more to your 401k and maybe to a brokerage account outside of a 401k. And those stocks grow at 7 to 9% a year. And what you've done when you look back over the next 30 years is you've picked a faster train if I, I'm confident you will have picked a faster train if you put more money into stocks than if you accelerated the speed with which you pay down your mortgage. What do you think about that, Walter? I like it. I, I knew you were going to take it in that direction. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things, if we said, if the question was, you should try to pay off your house as soon as you can, you would have probably been like, yeah, I, I agree with that. 
Yeah, I'd go with that. The always thing was, was right, a right, non-starter right. for me. Well, the always helped you make it a definitive no. Disagree. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's see how you do on this next one here. Nobody, nobody, <laughs> all right? We're, we're being definitive again here. Needs life insurance once they've retired. Why, why would you? Just nobody needs that. Exactly. Except if, uh, so I have a couple of different clients who, when their pension decision came about, what they decided was, both of them happened to be male, um, but they decided I'm going to take this pension payout just based on my own life, which of course gives you a higher payout. But with some of that extra payout, I'm going to buy a life insurance policy. And if I happen to die in the first 10 years of retirement, well, my wife, in this case, their spouse, their wife, will be made whole because of the tax-free life insurance death benefit that she's going to get if he happens to die early. But if they get to their early to mid-80s and he's still alive, well, they're just going to stop paying for that life insurance because it's going to become increasingly more expensive each year. And he's still getting the higher payout from his pension. So that's a perfectly great reason why somebody who's retired might need it. I have clients. So anybody who in, who um, receives proceeds from a life insurance policy, I really can't think of an example where those proceeds would not be tax-free. They're always, always, they're always tax-free. So I have clients who are setting up inheritance vehicles for their kids, for their grandkids, for whoever. They've named those people as the beneficiary of a life insurance policy. And in this case, you, you get a type of life insurance policy where the premium does not grow every year. It stays the same uh, a lot of times until the second spouse dies, called a second-to-die policy. So that's a terrific way to fund, maybe with excess required distributions. Uh, it's a terrific way to fund a tax-free inheritance that is, you know exactly how much somebody's going to inherit. You just don't know when. Well, I find that helpful, David, because, uh, of course, that one being nobody needs life insurance. I knew that one was going to be uh, debunked <laughs> pretty easily. But, yeah, I mean, you, you've done a couple of podcasts kind of on this topic, too, those different uses of life insurance and where they pop up later in life to be helpful. So, yeah, that's a great one to uh, to recap on this episode under this context of important financial debates, because you will find people out there who be like, ah, you don't need life insurance when you get older. They, they do kind of, you know, blanketly dismiss that as an option. Um, you know, they view it very granular or very, uh, I don't know, very one-trick pony kind of need and, and that it doesn't have other uses. So I think it's helpful to dispel those kinds of myths and rumors when we can. Here's another good one for you. You should never, I knew it, another never, you should never <laughs> use credit cards. All right. Well, I use credit cards. Uh-oh. Every day of my life. That, that, that's taking us in the uh, disagree direction once again, I think. <laughs> and I totally pay them off every month. Now, you know, why do people like me do that? Well, because we like hotel points or we like airline points or we like the cash back that those cards provide to us. There are points and perks that go with that. But in order to make any of that make sense, you have to pay them off every month in full. Interest rates on these cards are crazy 12 to 24 percent a year the fees that you pay if you if you pay late are ridiculous and really credit card debt is evidence that you're living it's clear evidence that you're living above your means and that's a perfect way to end up short on the goals you have for yourself when you get to be 
in or near retirement. So there are a lot of people that can effectively use credit cards in their daily life and have it actually be a benefit to their daily life. But if you find yourself using them to increase your standard of living before your income catches up, that's a really bad thing. And you shouldn't use credit cards in that situation. That's a great point. I mean, you you can just easily switch that one around, right? Easily to disagree with the way it's phrased. You should never use credit cards. Uh, If we changed it to you should never carry a credit card balance, that'd probably be a pretty easy agree, I think. Yep. All right. Very good. Uh, Another good one in the books. How about this one, David? It's better to buy mutual funds or ETFs instead of individual stocks. Now, if you don't know what those things are, go back and listen to our previous episode where David breaks down the difference between different types of mutual funds, index funds, and ETFs as part of that episode. So go check that out. But yeah, what do you say, David? It's better to buy mutual funds or ETFs instead of individual stocks. Agree? Well, so uh, this is totally arguable what I'm getting ready to say, but I would say that 95% of people are better off buying mutual funds or ETFs. You get broad diversification. Honestly, you're, unless you spend a lot of time at this, you are not a stock picker. You may think you're a stock picker, but you are not. I would strongly argue that regular people, which is 95% of Americans, should get the diversification, the kind of the set it and forget it features that mutual funds or broadly based ETFs will give them. Now, which ETFs or mutual funds? I think one good example is the S&P 500, broadly based. If America does well, you do well. But what you might already know is that if you own an S&P 500, you own uh, the first 7% of that money that you put in is in Apple. And the next 5.77% is in Microsoft. And then Amazon is 3% and Tesla is 2%. Google is about 4%. The top Uh, 21.5% of your money is in the top five stocks in the S&P 500. That's just the way the S&P 500 is calculated. But you could get a different equal weight S&P 500, the top five equal 1%. Every holding is the same percentage as the next. So ETFs and mutual funds can be a little bit tricky as well. Either way, with either of those two types, you get significant diversification as opposed to saying, well, I think um, I think Apple is going to do better than Pfizer. I think Eli Lilly is going to do better than Meta or NVIDIA is going to do better than Coke. If you're good at that, then I would I don't have a pro- I wouldn't have a problem with somebody saying, you know what, I love doing all this research and I'm actually pretty good at that and I track my my progress. Good for you. Knock yourself out. Keep doing it. But if you think you're good because you got a tip from your neighbor, <laughs> you're probably not very good. Yeah, that's a really good uh, point to make there, David. And I love that. And and that also points back to, as you mentioned, the kind of diversification a little bit. And I'll point people back to that previous episode. If they didn't hear it, go back, listen. There was also a great discussion and illustration of the importance of diversification in that last podcast. And uh, you'll definitely want to get some good details on that from David. Just You've heard that buzzword a lot. Go get some great examples and details of what that really looks like, how it works in a plan. Uh, go check that out on the previous you, episode. 
you know, in that previous episode, I also spent maybe a little too much time on, on a couple of different utility stocks. But if you're looking at you saying, well, I'd like to own some utility stocks because they tip, they typically pay high dividends. I'm just going to buy the one that provides me my gas and electric. Well, if you live in Kansas City, that's been an okay investment for the last three years. If you live in California, it's been a horrible investment. So don't fancy yourself a stock picker unless you do a, a lot of research ongoing. It's definitely not a set it and forget it venture. That's a great point as well. All right, speaking of set it and forget it, let's get to the last element here in our picking sides in important financial debates. Social Security is kind of like that. You, you pick it, set it, and maybe you don't forget it, but it kind of does its thing. There's not much tweaking to do once you decide on it. Um, you should start your Social Security as early as possible to ensure that you get your money out of the system. So we have talked uh, several times in the last couple of years of these podcasts that Social Security is built to be actuarially sound. And all that means is the payout schedules are put together by actuaries. They don't know when any one of us is going to die, but they know when a male born in 1960, if you take a thousand of them, they pretty much know when the, on average, those people, that group is going to die. So the actuaries kind of get it. So what they have, what they know is that if you start, there are kind of three main ages that you would want to think about starting social security, 62, which is the earliest, 70, which is the latest. And for most people listening to this podcast, 66, which is your full retirement age, if you take your Social Security at any one of those ages and you die at 81 or 82, then you will have gotten the same amount of money out of that program, whether you started early or late, because it's actuarially sound. Uh, it's built by actuaries. And so whether you start earlier for a lower amount or later for a bigger amount, Unless you live past your early 80s, if you, if you died early, well, you wished you'd started early. If you died late into your mid to late 80s or 90s, well, you wished you'd started later. Bigger dollar amount for more years. So starting early is absolutely positively not the right strategy unless you think you're going to die before your early 80s or unless you really need the money now. And that's a perfectly fine reason to start early as well. It just means that if you live a long time, you're not going to get as much money out of it as you otherwise could have. Great points there as well, David. I know Social Security is something a lot of people stress about, worry about, think about when it comes to their retirement. But it's also important to remember it's just a piece of the puzzle. An important one, but just a piece. Uh, well, there you have it. Some important financial debates. David picking sides for us, and uh, hopefully you were on the same side or got some education as to why David fell on one side or the other. If you've got additional questions about important financial conversations that you'd like some clarification on, David is always there for you. You can go to CoverYourAssetsKC.com for more information and to get in touch, or you can call 913-317-1414. 913-317-1414. You can also email David at ddickens at kcfa.com. New episodes every week. David, I'll look forward to the next one with you in a couple of days. Yeah, we've got uh, some really good listener questions that I've had over the last couple of weeks, so I'm working on them. I had my them. fingers crossed. We were going to get some. <laughs> Fantastic. So I think that's where we're going for the next time, but we'll see. 
Very good. Well, we'll keep our eyes out for that next episode and those questions. Uh, Feel free to submit your questions, by the way, if you'd like them to be featured on one of those future shows. Until then, we'll talk to everybody soon right back here on the Cover Your Assets Casey podcast. Thanks for listening. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.